you're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast, and we are so glad to be back after a several months hiatus for the end of 2023 and Christmas and New Year's and just trying to think through some of the things we want to do on this podcast. But we are back here and we've got a great conversation for you in store with one of my favorite people. But before we get to that, I just want to share a few things. Number one, as you're thinking about Easter coming up, I just want to let you know again that I have a book, The Characters of Easter, published by Moody Press. If you're thinking about Lenten season and trying to have some readings before Easter, this would be a great time to read that book and uh, get in the spirit as we as we move toward the cross and toward the resurrection of Jesus. Also, I'd love for you to sign up for my newsletter, One Little Word. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com, and sign up. There's a free version and a paid version. Free version has most of the things, but then the paid version has just some extra things for folks in terms of leadership and and how-to things. So would love for you to be part of that newsletter. You can go to my website and sign up for that. But I want to tell you about my guest today. His name is Drew Dick. He's been on the podcast before. He's an acquisitions editor for Moody Publishers. We've worked together on a number of projects, and he's also a prolific writer and um, a good writer, a good thinker, and he's got a brand new book out that I'm really excited about that I think you should get. And it's called Just Show Up, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything, A Guide for Exhausted Christians. What I really like about this book is he really helps Christians think through the mundaneness and ordinariness of their lives, that that too has purpose. And there's a value in just being faithful. You know, faithfulness doesn't make the headlines. Faithfulness doesn't get clicks. Faithfulness doesn't build a platform, but it's what God calls us often to do. And he works through each areas of our lives, whether it's parenting or our devotional life or spiritual life, our lives as citizens and all these things. Uh, so often we feel like I've got to change the world. I've got to do these big, massive, huge things. And uh, this book, I think, will be an encouragement to you and uh, strength to you. Uh, and Drew's just a great guy. He, Him and I have been friends for a long time. He has really helped me in my writing career in a number of ways, whether it's helping me when he was uh, at Christianity Today, helping me get published, and then also work with me at Moody Press and other places. So really appreciative of him. Let's go to our conversation now with my friend Drew Dick. have my good friend Drew Dick back on the podcast. Drew, you're like a multi-time you've been a you may have set the record for being on my podcast, I think. Maybe. Oh, I don't that's know. a that's a big honor. But you know, you owe me because I tell people that I discovered you, Dan, even yeah. though that's only well, partially true. I may owe you in a couple ways. One that if they don't like me, they may blame you for it. You know, <laughs> that's right. Like you platform could be good or bad. Yeah, that's right. You, you, you unleashed that on the world. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you're a comedian, how many times you've been on Jimmy Fallon? Well, for you, right. it's how many times we've been on my podcast, right? I'm going to put that in my so, bio, like three, yeah, four time bio, but, guest. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad you're back on to talk about your brand new book, Just Show Up, How Small Acts of Faithfulness Change Everything, A Guide for Exhausted Christians. I love this book. 
I mean, I loved it and I read it and I marked it up. It's so good. You know, first of all, it seems like there are a lot of exhausted Christians out there. So maybe, maybe yeah, talk I, about I was the need, the need the for the wide. book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you're well, thinking it, about who's going to read this book and who like, like what, what, what were you thinking in your mind when you, when you were thinking about this? Yeah. Well, probably the wrong answer, but first of all, I was thinking about myself because <laughs> I'm at the stage of life, right? Where you, you find that you have more responsibilities more things to do than you have bandwidth to do them. And I think a lot of people are in this boat, especially since COVID. I don't know what it is, but the world's just kind of been crazy since then. Everyone's trying to balance, you know, work and life stuff and it's hard, right? And so when you get into that place, uh, what I was actually trying to do in the book a little bit is lower the bar. That might sound bad, but kind of going, hey, listen, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to conquer the world. If you're just being faithful and you're attending to the most important things, God can do awesome things through that. And so that's been something yeah. I've just kind of repeated to myself. And that's, of course, the theme of the book. Just show up. Just show up. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to show up. Yeah. And and you really walk through different areas of life, right? You know, areas where we, we need to just show up. And there's a few things that were you know, actually really countercultural that I loved. But you kind of walk through just, you know, in your family, with your worship, like with your work you know, even like in the world, like, you know, just like change the world, all that kind of stuff. And it was really helpful. I mean, first of all, you know, your first chapter talks about, I actually like how you start out while wow, you and your, and this is so many of us Christians. And, I, and when I was reading it, I was seeing myself in that same thing where hmm. you and your wife in college were like, we're, we're going to like change the world and we're going to do all this stuff. And then you fast forward to where we are, right? Where we're like midlife, we're driving minivans, we're just trying to pay the bills and like, yes, we're going to church and all that stuff, but it just doesn't seem as amazing as when we first thought when we, when we, you know, walked the aisle and said, we're going to follow Christ. We're going to, we're going to be the generation that does all this. So maybe, maybe talk about that. Yeah. There's a lot of people listening that <laughs> are right. hearing that and saying, okay, maybe my life does have meaning now, even though it doesn't seem like it does because it's so routine and whatever. Yeah, it's a bit of a crisis when you started out with these grandiose visions about what you were going to do for God. And I think some of that's good. Some of that's just part of being young and idealistic. Mm -hmm. But looking back, I think I did have some distorted views about like, okay, I have to change the world. I have to do all this stuff for God in order for my life to really matter. And yeah, like you said, then I fast forward, what has it been like 18 years since I was in seminary? <laughs> and, and I remember saying to Grace, when we were in seminary, I'm like, hey, listen, we're not going to go for the American dream. We're not going to have 2.5 children's children in the white picket fence. We're going to do something different. And here I am eating at Olive Garden, driving my minivan. I'm not complaining though. I mean, my life is great and I feel tremendously blessed to get to do what I get to do. Um, and yet the question becomes, wow, when your life turns out a little more ordinary looking than you thought it would, what does faithfulness look like now? Mm -hmm. And it's a bit of a crisis. And yet, when I think about the people that I most admire, they're often not people that went and like changed the world or made history. They're just people that were faithful, like in their context, to their families, to their communities, to the, the call God's placed on their lives. Sometimes God does something big through that. Or sometimes it's just a more sort of regional impact that they have. But I've really had to kind of adjust my vision of what it means to live a, a, a life that serves God and others. Yeah, again, when you do that and you lower the bar, but it's not really lowering the bar because honestly, faithfulness is success. And that's that the message the that I wish, wish I would have gotten a little earlier in life and that I was trying to unpack in this book. Yeah, when I think about this, there's so many different things I think about. I mean, one, I think 
And the older, I didn't get this, Drew, till I was like in my late 30s or 40s, early 40s, how even how we're formed. And I can think of maybe half a dozen conference messages or revival type messages where God really spoke to me and it was a turning point in my life. And I'm thankful for those, right? And I can name those. They're great moments. But mostly I think of being formed and shaped by first as a kid and then as an adult, going to church every week, hearing messages that you kind of forget by Wednesday and mumbling songs that you know half of it and whatever. (laughs) But over time, how that shapes my life and my heart to where when you go through a hard time, you remember a lyric from a hymn or you remember that verse or you remember something somebody said or Hmm. and, and, and how we're shaped by a lot of little things over time. And you, you talk about that in here. I really, I really like that kind of lowers the pressure that we might have to have to be awesome every week. Right? No, so true. And I love, I remember you wrote an article uh, similar to this talking about how boring uh, sermons, quote unquote, uh, changed your life, right? Just that repetition of going to church, hearing God's word, even if it's not like, you know, a, a five-star sermon every Sunday. Uh, And I think there's a similar dynamic when it comes to the individuals who influence you. You often think it's going to be the, you know, oh, it's it's going to be some famous preacher or some, you know, celebrity that has this big impact on people's lives. But usually that's actually kind of a light touch thing. Usually the more formative influences on your life are those people that, you know, the the teacher that really invested in you, mm-hmm. the pastor that that uh, discipled and mentored you. And and so that's encouraging to me. I love um, how one author puts it, Pete Davis is his name, and, and he contrasts infinite browsing mode. And that's what he describes as kind of how we approach life now. It's like, when we go to Netflix and sit there and browse for two hours because we can't pick anything, there are too many options. He contrasts that with what he calls long haul heroes. Uh, and that is like someone who just like deeply invests in one place, puts down roots and, and invests in, in a, maybe a narrower sort of um, area of influence, but has a deeper impact. And so that that's the prayer for my life, honestly, that, that I'd be uh, more content with investing in the people in my immediate vicinity. You talk about this when it comes to our Bible reading and our personal time, and I really like that. And I, I agree with it so much of, you know, every 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 day in the Word is not going to be this halo over your head and you feel like so inspired. And, you know, <laughs> I might have some of those days, but it's about just having that habit that shapes your heart. I remember someone asked Tim Keller, you know, what was the secret to your preaching? And I thought he would say, you know, I went to Gordon Conwell or I, I, I mentored with these guys. And he said, no, it was actually reading through the Bible every year for like years and years. Hmm. Just every morning just kind of doesn't seem, you're not even, you're half awake. It doesn't seem that inspiring. <laughs> right. but, but just showing up in that sense is really important, right? It's huge. It's huge. And I think we overlook that. And sometimes actually we think that there, it's almost wrong to like, get into the Bible or prayer, do those spiritual, basic spiritual disciplines if you're not feeling it, if your heart isn't right. in it. But nothing can be further from the truth because often you may not have the feels, but then you start in. I, I've experienced this all the time with worship, you know, like Sunday morning, I don't yeah. want to go to church oh, <laughs> and yeah. it's rough. I got a 30 minute drive. I got kids that I got to, you know, bully Wrangle into the minivan. Into the, yeah. 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 <laughs> right? so, and then of course you, you get there though and all, you sing one song. Okay third song, all of a sudden you're like, man, your heart's in it. You're worshiping God. And you go, man, I needed this. I didn't even realize yeah. that. And so often the, the feelings follow the obedience, not always, but often that's how it works. And so if you just show up on a regular basis and like, yeah, you said about Tim Keller, someone like anyone though, it's that, that repetition. I had one friend that described it. Um, well, it was actually a mentor of his that said, it's like doing push-ups. 
You know, you just, you get, you, you strengthen your spiritual muscles over time and you benefit mm-hmm. from doing it consistently. And at first he was like, that sounds like an odd way to describe like communing with God, doing pushups. <laughs> that sounds kind of yeah. cold and weird. But he, the, after, you know, taking his mentor's advice, he realized, no, there's wisdom in this. You do it regularly and God forms and shapes you through it, even though not every day is going to be some sort of mountaintop experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way a lot of times with Sundays, it's like, there's very few Sundays where I'm like, I'm feeling great, you know, but having gone and how it shapes us in even ways we don't understand, like the conversations you have, the prayers you have, the people you meet, all that, all that is so so important. Um, You also talk about just showing up in people's lives and you have a, I thought this was such a great story that you talked about how you were in the hospital or your wife was in the hospital and this is a, a long time ago, you know, names change to protect the innocent, but yeah, <laughs> there was a pastor that came to visit you. Right. And what, what he, what you needed from him, like, you know, is not what he got. And you talk about how we, we maybe overemphasize authenticity. Mm, I'm just going to yeah. be real. And you're saying, well, sometimes in the moment you need to show up and not fake it, but a it's kind of fake it. And just because that's when someone needs in that moment, just, just un- unpack that. Cause I thought that was really unique, but also very helpful. Yeah. It's funny. That story. I, I was chuckling as I wrote it because it, it was, it was kind of bizarre. He was a good guy. And, and I feel bad. And of course, yeah, names and some details were, were changed to protect the innocent or the guilty, but yeah, we're in the, we're in the hospital and we're anxious, right? Understandably. So, and this guy from the church comes over and he just plops into the chair beside my wife and he just looks straight ahead and says, man, I don't know if I'm cut out for ministry. Church isn't going so well right now. (laughs) He started airing all these problems he was having. And I was like, dude, we don't, Hey, listen, I'm happy to have this conversation with you at a coffee shop later or something. But right now we needed a man of God to walk into that room and to pray for us and to comfort us and to play that role, even if his heart wasn't in it. It was a good lesson for me, like whether you're a pastor or not, there are a lot of roles you need to play. And sometimes guess what? You're not going to be feeling it, right? You're going to be a, maybe you're a spiritual leader and yet you're kind of beset by doubts, but that doesn't mean you get up on Sunday morning, say, and air all of your doubts. Sometimes you feel like you don't maybe have the training or you're, you're, you don't know exactly what you're doing. And yet if you've been called to a role and if you've received it, you got to step into it. And that's just how life is. I think sometimes we look down on roles. We think they're boring and kind of confining and yet they enable us to really bless other people. So that was another area in which I was, I was really writing to myself. It's like, Hey, step into the role, own it, trust God for the outcome. And yes, I think sometimes we place such a high premium on authenticity and that's great. I'm not saying like you want to be inauthentic, obviously, but authenticity shouldn't mean that I'm just going to like divulge all my feelings. And if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it (laughs) because sometimes you have to. And it's, it's a part of serving someone, right? Exactly. Step into a role that they need. I mean, we know this as, as dads and parents, because a lot of times we're not feeling it, (laughs) but what our kids need for us at the point is to be a dad and be a parent and not be the needy one, but be the one who has to, has to be there for him. I think this really hit me when I was a young pastor. Hmm. And I remember, you know, I was ordained, I was like 29 and I was, now I think back, I'm like, I didn't even know what I was doing. What what were they even thinking? (laughs) But, you know, I had on them on my office thing, it said pastor and on my desk, but I didn't feel like a pastor. I felt like you had these older parishioners. And I remember my mentor just saying like, 
however you feel, they see you as their pastor. Hmm. And that would like when you show up, you know, they, they need you to be their pastor and take charge and, and also be there to comfort them. So I didn't really, I couldn't really just sit there and be like, well, I'm not feeling it today when someone's, <laughs> you just have to kind of step into it. And I think, you know, that's the case in a lot of life, right? Where we yeah. just, we just have to show up and, yeah. and be what people need for us. Um, I think about work too. Let's talk about work because this also made me think about my dad, you know, being a, a he's a retired plumber, but you know, I got to get up early every morning, show up at work. And when I'm a kid, I'm just thinking like, man, I remember asking him one time, you know, riding with him in the, in the truck, work truck. And you know, you're, it's cold outside. You're getting dirty. It's, you know, it's not fun. You're getting up early. And I just remember saying to him, Hey dad, do you ever get tired of this? <laughs> Are you sick of this? He's like, "Hey, do you get tired of having a roof over your head? Do you get tired of eating?" <laughs> I love it. Because I don't get like, you know, it's just kind of like I have to show up and do my job hmm. because people are depending on me. And uh I always think about that when when I read what what you're saying. And it, it's kind of like that with work and life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Incidentally, those are the real men, Dan. What we do, what are we doing? Oh, right. Tapping on a computer. Talking on a emails. podcast. We're sending, <laughs> sending yeah. emails. <laughs> my, yeah, like. My hands are calloused from sending emails. Right. Um, we're having to tell our kids, I sent emails uphill both ways in the snow, you know? <laughs> I, I have a friend who's a blue collar dude and we gave each other, you know, the big high five when we greeted each other. And he's like, he stepped back and he said, I think you have the softest hands I've ever felt on a man. <laughs> and I that's just thought, amazing. okay, that's the end for me. That, that was the worst. Anyway. Yes. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. And I love your dad's answer. Actually. It's a little cheeky, right? But yeah, he was saying, listen, I'm doing this for love, right? I got yeah, responsibilities, right. right? And that's, yeah. that's the ultimate um, motivation. And at the end of the day, regardless of what kind of work you do, if it's for your own sort of, I don't know, self-actualization, oh, that, you know, that's a thing and that's part of it. But at the end of the day, that's too weak a motivation. You got to be doing it to serve others, to bless others. Uh, people yeah. are depending on you. And so, yeah, ultimately, that's why we show up. Yeah. A couple things I wanted to ask you that are really helpful and were super convicting for me too. But you talk about practicing incarnation hmm. and you don't need to be perfect, just be present. And you and I know as dads, it's very easy to not be present. Oh, things man. get hard. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm going to retreat in my phone. I'm going to text Drew some <laughs> funny joke or I'm going to check Twitter instead <laughs> of like being a dad. So talk about that chapter. I mean. Oh, there. man. Yeah. And it is tough. And I think it's uniquely tough in this day and age just because we do have those devices that allow us to escape into the digital world. I got to admit this myself, like my, you know, being around the sometimes I get bored in kid land, right? Where yes. I don't want to talk about, uh, you know, dinosaurs or basketball or whatever they're into at the time. And so I got my phone anytime I can just, yeah, jump online, catch up on work, quote unquote. And then, you know, Grace looks over my shoulder and I'm really looking on Twitter. Yeah. And so, yeah, that it's a challenge certainly. Cause I mean, Hey, listen, that's great that you're there physically, but to be there, you know, fully present is even better. And that is just a perennial challenge. And I mean, not to get too theological about this, but why do we show, why is it so imp important to be present, right? For people, whether it's your family, your community, your church, your friends, it's because ultimately we're people of the incarnation, right? We follow, we, mm. we follow Jesus and Jesus, you know, represents God's decision to show up in person for us. Uh, and it, obviously to save us, to die on the cross and all that stuff. But physical presence was so important to Jesus's ministry. When you look at what he did, you know, he, he is touching people and healing them. He had kids jumping on his lap. He had prostitutes anointing his feet. He, he, he spoke with 
crowds literally pressing against him. I love those images because honestly, it's a challenge for me too, because I, I, I kind of like just connecting virtually sometimes and just kind of having mm-hmm. my strong Wi-Fi and my strong coffee and, and communicating, if at all, from a distance. But that's not the way of Jesus. Ultimately, man, we got to be with people. And so that that was a challenge for me as well. Let's let's be people of the incarnation. Yeah. And I like love how you talk about you don't have to always like perform all the time. I mean, we should show up in a sense where we but you're you're saying, you know, be a mentor, be a friend. You don't have to just be cool, you have to be cool, just care. No, don't be perfect, just be present, right? Yeah. And just to unpack that a little bit, what that looks like in terms of friendship and sure. our family and some of those relationships. Well, I think, especially when someone's hurting and you're like, man, I should go to that person's house. I should do something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't, maybe this, maybe this is just me. Sometimes you don't because you you don't know what to say, right? You think, man, I, I don't really have the words to give it to this person. I haven't been through what they've been through, I, whatever the case is, or I'm not the right person. I don't have the training. And so then you avoid them altogether. But what I've found just in life is that your presence is usually enough. And like when you think of when you've been through hard times in life, you may or may not remember things that people said to you, but I promise you, you'll remember one thing with perfect clarity and that is who was there, right? Mm-hmm. Who was there? And I remember like, um, what was this? Maybe eight or nine years ago, I was mentoring these two boys that were about 12 years old. And I felt like a total failure because like I'd show up and pick them up every time. It's like once a week. And we'd go out for ice cream or cheeseburgers or something like that. And they just wouldn't even talk to me. Like I imagine that they'd be opening up. We'd be like having these deep discussions. <laughs> they just like looked blankly at me and I'd like respond to my questions with one word answers. And yeah. and then, and all they wanted to talk about was video games. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I played Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers. And they're like, what's that? And so we just like had nothing in common. And then I remember like one time I was dropping off the one kid and he didn't really have a dad in his life. And he was like, you're coming back next week, right? And all of a sudden I realized this was important to him. It was actually making a difference, even though I wasn't good at it. <laughs> and I, I didn't really know what to say to them, but just that presence. And I think that's true in all kinds of relationships. Just when you're there, that's huge. Certainly in the parenting department, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, you, you watch the commercials and it's like, oh, the perfect dad's rolling on the floor, playing with the kids, doing everything right and stuff. But man, I'll tell you what, a dad who's present is way better than one who's not. Right? That's totally true. And I'm finding <laughs> that out. Even if my kids are teens, you know, I have like. I have a, my oldest is a college student and my youngest is 12. So they're essentially all teens and just being there in presence, you know, you, I, I'm just like, you know, sometimes you think, man, I'm the only version of dad they're ever going to see. This is the best it gets for them. <laughs> you know, you feel bad, but just being in their lives and just like having conversations or whatever, it doesn't have to be super deep. I, I think a lot of, I want to talk about dads. I don't know about you, Drew. I think a lot of Christian dads feel inadequate. Yes. And they get beat um, up on a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about like, you know, it's so funny because when we talk about fathering, it's tangent. You know, we, we're we tough on men and sometimes we need to be. But the guys who are actually listening to stuff like that are the ones who care. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, the like, ones who need to hear the kind of harsh rebukes, they're checked out. They're not even, yeah, listening. Right. They're not coming to the men's breakfast or no. the whatever, whatever. But I don't think we realize a lot of dads, Christian dads come to church. They feel inadequate. Can I disciple my kids? Am I doing it right? Am I screwing this up? You know, and I think your book gives some relief to say, do the best you can show up and God's going to use that. Yeah. I remember one point, I think it was online. I said like, here's to all the mediocre dads, you know, maybe you're not killing it in every area, but you're there. 
And that yeah. will provide kind of a baseline of psychological stability for your children. I mean, especially you're taking them to church. My goodness, you're bucking the trend right there. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, there's always room for improvement, right? You can always put down the phone more. You can always engage more. You can always teach right. your kids the Bible more. And that's hard though, man. I thought I was going to kill it in that area. I went to seminary, Dan. I'm like so smart. And yet <laughs> it's intimidating. Like family devotions. I'm like, okay, let's, let's do this every night. Oh, that didn't happen. Okay. Let's do it once right. a week. Oh man, that kind of happened happens once in a while. And then I'm screaming at them because they're not listening and one's running away and stuff like that. Yeah, me too. It's, it's like you have this idea that you're going to do this catechism every night and, yeah. and then it's like, they're just going to be soaking know, up the wisdom. Yes. Yeah. I mean like the dad who's schlepping his kids to church in a minivan on Sunday, is far more heroic and masculine than the guy flexing on YouTube for, for clicks. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You do talk about, perfectionism, which I loved. I loved that chapter, Drew. I loved it so much because on the one hand, you're saying show up, just show up, but you also can't show up for everything and just to do your best. So please talk about that. Yeah, I think it's, you know, perfectionism is paralyzing. I think most people realize this, although sometimes we really delude ourselves into thinking we can do everything and we can do it like perfectly. And then, of course, that's just sort of a denial of our finite you know, natures because God doesn't expect us to be infinite. Only God's infinite. We have limited energy. We have limited time. We have limited abilities. We even have limited willpower, right? So it's really important because some people go, okay, just show up. So you just want me to show up for everything, man, I'm going to run myself ragged. So I I thought it was important to have that chapter in there talking about like, you got to let something slide and that sounds bad, but it's true. Right. And the silly example I give in the book is my yard. I'm looking at it right now. It's all like blotchy and, and, and yellow and stuff. And so for a while I thought, man, I got to get this perfect yard, but I knew it'd mean like putting in sod, which is expensive. And then like watering it and weeding it and doing all this stuff and screaming at kids to get off it. And, and then I realized, you know what? I'm in a stage of life where I'm raising three kids. I got a busy career. I got all these commitments. I'm not going to have a nice yard. That's okay. Maybe later. I can, you know, get out there with the tweezers and pick out weeds. But right, right now, I, I'm, I'm going to let that slide. And that's a silly example. But just looking at your life and going, are there certain commitments that I've signed on to that I should really let go of? And one clarifying question for me, because it's hard to know what those should be, is when I think about dropping this certain commitment, is my primary emotion sadness or relief? And if it's relief, mm, that's sometimes good. that's an indication that you need to let it go. Now, important caveat, if you're saying like, well, should I drop my parenting responsibilities <laughs> or, or my, you know, quit my job? No. Okay. I get it. There are some things you got to do, even when your not, heart's not in it, like we've been talking about it. And yet I think often we, we sign on to a lot of things that we need to reevaluate because you can't show up for everything. I was so inspired by the whole lawn thing because <laughs> I've never been the, I'm not very, good at like lawns and gardens. And I always feel bad about these amazing friends who like are mulching and doing this. And I don't even know the right language to do it. I'm just happy to have my grass cut and like, and then like you say, okay, at this stage of life, things are busy. If we have a brown, browner lawn than our neighbors, it's okay. That's right. Cause and you the know, positive the spin the day, I put on it environmentally responsible. That's what I'm saying. That's right. I mean, <laughs> at the end of the day, it. you know, I'd rather have a good relationship with my kids than, you know, if, if I have to choose, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yes. I want to, I want to ask a couple more things that I really think are interesting. I mean, one is just when we think about calling, this is really helpful. Cause sometimes when we think about calling, 
I mean, it's a tension, right? Where it's like God has put certain things in our heart and gifted us in certain ways to do certain things. And we should follow that. But sometimes we get so dreamy with it that we realize like, even when you're in your calling and your gifting, there's a lot of just boring days of showing up, right? Like I love what I do and you love what you do, but not every day is like, you know, Eric Liddell, I feel the pleasure of God when I'm sending (laughs) 10 more emails, you know, like. (laughs) When I email, I feel his pleasure. (laughs) Right. So just talk about like calling, like, but also. You know, I, I think of previous generations, and maybe they had an imbalance, but previous generations were kind of like, I don't think they talked about calling as much. They just kind no. of had to work and do stuff. I don't know if that, that's healthy either, but there seems to be a need for a, a balance, right? Yeah. No, that's really interesting because there are previous generations, not to mention other places in the world outside the West, where you don't have um, – options really about what you're going to, you're going to yeah. do what your dad did if you're lucky. Yeah. Right. So I get that. And so I'm, I'm always hesitant to kind of like over spiritualize the idea of calling, especially when it comes to vocation, realizing that it's a great privilege to be able to do something that, you know, makes, makes your heart sing. Right. And yet right. if you do have that opportunity to do something that you feel uniquely equipped and called to do, why not? That's great. What a blessing from God to be able to do that. And so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like um, there is a part of every job that's drudgery. Right. These people that are like, you know, oh, if you choose what you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, right. Come on. (laughs) That's like I had to fill out two contracts yesterday and send probably like 20 emails. Right. So there are and and I don't love emailing, but I love what I do. And of course, it enables me to do the parts of my job that I do love that in and it all matters ultimately too. Uh, so that's an important thing to to think about. So when you are I think it's good to remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing continually. And then also, I mean, there are a lot of people and I've been here myself where you're just in a phase where you're like, actually, I don't feel like I'm really living out the calling that I would like to. And I don't know what God's doing with me right now. Like a lot of people I talk to feel like God's put them on the shelf. Honestly, Mm -hmm. like they started out with some kind of ministry or some kind of call. It went sideways for one reason or another, often through no fault of their own. And so they're like, what's going on? And I talk a lot in the book about Moses because I love that story. He's going to be this great liberator of his people. He ends up in the wilderness for 40 years <laughs> instead. With his father-in-law. Um, with his father-in-law and with a bunch of sheep, right? Like that right. sucks. And then what I love about that story though, is that he didn't have to like solve a puzzle to figure out God's will and his calling. He just had to tend sheep. And as he's doing that, God shows up and directs mm-hmm. him to um, go to Pharaoh. And so my, my, my advice when you're in that stage, because a lot of us find ourselves in those stages, those phases of life, just keep doing the thing in front of you and God will direct you. Just keep being faithful. And it's hard though to guard against cynicism and just checking out and stuff. But the truth is God might be doing something in those times that you don't even understand right now, preparing you in ways that that you'll only appreciate down the line. So whatever it is, whether you're like just killing it, top of your game, or you kind of feel like you've been sidelined and and you feel like you're toiling in obscurity, <laughs> just keep keep yeah. uh, doing the next thing that God's placed in front of you. It's, it's very encouraging. And even whether it's work life or parenting life, to say, okay, just keep showing up and God will use that. And, you know, to have a life of faithfulness, a cumulative life of faithfulness is such a, I, I really want to encourage folks to get this book, Just Show Up, How Small It's a Faithfulness Change Everything. It's going to be a book that you'll read that will challenge you, but also encourage you and make you feel like, okay, the the things that I'm doing do matter for God. I mean, I'll close with this idea. I, t- I, I kind of tell this to my students 
that I teach. And I also tell to my own kids, especially about their schoolwork. <laughs> and, I, and I'll say, most of your grade is just showing up. Yeah. In other words, you know, I'm not saying turn in bad work. Turn in the best you can do. But if you, if you complete all your assignments and you show up to class, that's the dirty little secret about school. <laughs> you'll you'll most of the time you'll get decent grades you know if and, and you'll pass and just show up and i tell my my own kids that because i get upset when i read through workouts like two missing assignments i'm like guys that's the easy part just turn yeah. it in you know just yeah. show up so i think it's such a good message you know well thanks yeah true true in school and true in life absolutely yeah. so yeah well no, yeah. and I, I think appreciating faithfulness too drew like I say this a lot. There's always these like hand wringing about the evangelical church, about denominations, about whatever. Faithfulness doesn't make the headlines. And, yeah, I, and right. I think for me, and probably for you too, when you have a chance to go around and speak at different places, what encourages my heart sometimes is to say, oh, in this town that I've never been to, here's a church and here are Christians that nobody knows just living out the gospel and yep. being faithful. That's really what most of the kingdom of God is. Most of the kingdom of God is people have never written a book or podcast, have a byline or anything. They're just being faithful, right? Exactly. And we'll, we won't even know the true impact of their faithfulness until eternity, but it's there. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is a great book. I want to encourage folks to get it. Just show up. It's available from Moody, from Amazon, wherever you get books sold. Drew will come to your house and sell it out of his trunk, you know, if you want him to for a special. <laughs> I'll read price, it to you. Know. you. That's that's the special yes. audio version. Yeah, a little creepy. Right. But yeah, a little creepy. But uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, though, Drew, for, for coming on talking about all this. Dan, thanks for having me back. It has been a blast as always. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.